This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 28, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. There's a huge potential audience for the broad strokes of libertarian thinking, and no, those people don't need to start with a large stack of books in order to get there. Jennifer Thompson is executive director for the Center for the Study of Liberty. We spoke about the so-called golden age of conversation and why answering the big questions about freedom can help address seemingly intractable social problems. When libertarians try to uh, communicate ideas, uh, so often the the problem that arises is that not only do you need to come to the right conclusions about how the world operates and what the response to how the world operates ought to be, but you have to have the exact right reasons in a very carefully crafted uh, formula, and the formulation of your words must be just so and you must believe it this way and not that way. And that seems to be just death for uh, trying to get ideas, general ideas across and and to cultivate sympathy for ideas. Yeah, I think that's right. And if you read uh, Brian Doherty's Radicals for Capitalism very early on, when he's setting up that book, he quotes Fred Smith uh, from the Competitive Enterprise Institute saying, uh, "It's n- if, if two libertarians agree with each other, they both know the other one's sold out, right? And he sort of says, what we like to do as libertarians is read other people out of the movement. So it's more important that you fit in the right part of the tent or whatever else. The people we're trying to reach in the private sector, they're not interested in those kind of, um, they're not interested in those kind of distinctions. And in fact, and, and when we started the center, what we did was go out talk to a bunch of people in the private sector and say, what are you missing in your life? What what kinds of things worry you? And what we heard over and over again was people are worried about issues like poverty in their community. They're worried about trade. They're worried about the economy. They're worried about uh, education. And they want to talk about these things, but they don't want to get in fights with people that they have to work with. So it seems to be uh, pragmatic, um, empirical versus some sort of principled right. uh, position that is, oh, this is where, this is the first 200 pages of uh, human action, which describes what man is. And if you agree on that, then we can continue to talk. Exactly. I think I think that is the way we approach it in the academy, that we approach it in policy, that we approach it in nonprofits that are focused on advancing liberty that's we'll call it advancing liberty i i am not concerned that people in the private sector know that they're advancing liberty per se i'm concerned that they um they operate according to the principles that hayek and mises lay out and i don't i don't actually think that hayek would have said it's imperative that these folks need to have read The Intellectuals and Socialism. Now, I'm a philosopher by training. Would I love it if everybody was excited about reading The Constitution of Liberty? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it might give me more people to talk to about that. But I think if we say the private sector can't can't really understand those ideas, can't really engage those ideas, can't experiment with them the way that academics do in discussion, the way that people in nonprofits focused on advancing liberty do, 
I think we're missing a huge potential audience. And I think we can ask ourselves, you know, people who work professionally at Advancing Liberty, there's more and more of these organizations than way more of these organizations than there were 50 years ago. Is the world a lot better off? It's better off. But have, you know, there's all kinds of people who pay their mortgage because they advance liberty. Have we made the same kind of gains in freedom? Well, we certainly haven't in the United States. If you, you know, look at the World Freedom Index, we're not going forward. We're going backward. So the professionalization of advancing liberty versus saying there's people out there in the private sector who have really high opportunity costs. It's not that they're not smart. It's just that we're not good at marketing to them. Uh, and that's that's primarily what we're trying to do. So what is your project aimed at? Our project is aimed at, we, we like to say, uh, if people do know Hayek, right, we say what we're really trying to do is we're trying to be like travel agents for the private sector and engaging those folks in the intellectual adventure of building a free society, the way Hayek talks about it. We don't say that to our, our target audience because that's kind of meaningless to them. But what we think is that because we are libertarians, we believe that intellectual humility matters, that we need to be engaged in a free marketplace of ideas. And because of the nature of um, sort of the, because of the current climate for civil discourse, we don't think people are talking to people they disagree with. And we think that's an imperative part of a free society. And so what we want to do is engage those people in the private sector who we believe have been left out of that adventure, but engage them on topics that matter to them, the things that matter in their communities. And we want to bring them into conversation with other people who are interested, like them, in making the world a better place. And so we kind of come at that from the civil conversation space because that's, that's something that appeals to a lot of people. There's a lot of organizations working in that area now. Uh, but when we get people either online or in person to a conversation, what we're really hoping is that they will gain empathy for different viewpoints, that they will take the inspiration from those conversations, and they'll go out and they'll use their talents in the way they best know how to use them to make the world a better place. We think that the seeds of action are sown in conversation, and for a variety of different reasons, we're not having enough conversations anymore with one another. Where do you think that comes from, this lack of conversation? I, I'm told that there was this golden era of conversation in which uh, people talked a lot more. Um, you know, I try to host as many people in my home as I possibly can on a regular basis for dinner. I love to cook, I love to talk. And I love to spend time with interesting people. And um, uh, I've got to think there's a lot of people like that. Uh, and yet I'm also told, well, we're just not, like you just said, well, we're not, we're not talking to each other anymore. We, we are in our bubbles. Um, part of that has to be the internet. But, but where does it come from? I think there are several things. I mean, I think it's worth distinguishing that this, this idea about polarization, for instance, uh, and that things are worse than they ever were. You know, people keep citing this. I think it's a Pew study uh, that things are worse now today than they were since the Civil War or, or worse today than they were during the Civil War. Not for a lot of people. I, I got to say the idea <laughs> that somehow we have fights on the floor of Congress or if you go back and you read 
what people said about each other during political uh, campaigns in the late 19th century, that somehow today is worse in that respect. I don't think that's true. What I do think is true, and you alluded to it, is uh, social media, the internet, enables us to become more isolated. Now, it can also have the reverse effect, but it can, for a variety of different reasons, put us into those echo chambers. And so I think that's a piece of it. What we hear from people when we go out and ask them, what are you worried about? Tell us about the conversations you're having. When was the last time you had a conversation that changed your mind, that sort of thing? We hear very, very frequently from people, I know that so-and-so who I see socially or I work with or is a colleague and I disagree about politics. It's not that they disagree about politics that's the problem. The problem is they are afraid that whatever conversation they have is going to turn into a fight or something that's uncomfortable and then makes it less likely that they can work together. Uh, and that, for, for the people we're working with, is too high a cost to bear. So agree to disagree is yeah. a uh, decreasing, I think in, so. in a sense. Yeah. I mean, Arthur Brooks, in, in his most recent book, uh, talks about contempt in society. And he says that we all dislike the current state of affairs but that we're addicted to it somewhat. And that it's not that we don't need, it's not that we need to stop disagreement, it's that we need to disagree productively and that that's not actually happening. Jennifer Thompson directs the Center for the Study of Liberty. We spoke in Indianapolis in August. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.